atmosphere. Hey everyone, I'm Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. I'm Kai Rizdal. 28 September Thursday is what it is. Yes, it is. And what, are we three days from a government shutdown now? A little bit less. I saw on the CNN countdown clock uh, a little while ago, I saw two hours and six, uh, sorry, two days and, and six hours. So we're, we're inside three. Uh, inside three. All right. Well, aside from that, today, because it's Thursday, we are going to be listening back to some of the big stories of the week. We've got some audio clips. We're going to get into what was said in those clips and what was left out. Uh, so let's get to the first mm-hmm. one. The reason we see so much conflict around funding the federal government through discretionary appropriations and the potential for a government shutdown is because Congress has so few avenues remaining to make its voice heard that uh, the minority party really seizes on these um, on these must pass bills in order to signal its political commitments to its constituents. I think it's also a sign of our growing debt crises and the fact that most of the debt crises is driven by popular programs such as Social Security and Medicare spending growth, which politicians have a very tough time tackling for um, uh, for the reason that they would, would like to be reelected. So you're getting a lot of uh, fighting over a smaller and declining part of the budget. So I know that was a lot, but there's so much to unpack there. That was Romina Baccia. She is the Director of Budget and Entitlement Policy at the Cato Institute. I interviewed her earlier this week on one of the, I'm sure, what will be many shutdown stories that I've done. And I want to take apart some different things. So she said the reason there's so much fighting over discretionary spending, right? I think a lot of people fail to realize that there's very little of the federal budget that is discretionary spending, at least around two-thirds of the budget is just off the table. It's Social Security, it's Medicare, it's interest on the national debt. And so members of Congress can't really mess with that uh, apart from large-scale government intervention, new legislation, or blowing up the debt ceiling, as as we saw a while back. Um, And so interest on the national debt is a big chunk. Um, Social Security and Medicare are a large and growing chunk, which leaves only about a third of the federal budget that is actually up for debate in these appropriations bills, which are supposed to be passed by October the 1st, which is why we get government shutdowns. So layered on top of... The fact that it is a small-ish and shrinking section of the federal budget, which makes it even harder to fight over, there is less and less legislation moving through Congress at all because of the divided government, because of partisanship, because of dysfunction. And so people in Congress who want to get anything done to take back to their constituents want to hitch all of their wagons to these very few pieces of legislation that must pass, aka funding for the federal government. So layered on top of the fact that we have a narrow and shrinking slice of um, federal spending that is even up for debate any given year, there is fewer pieces of le- there are fewer p- fewer pieces of legislation moving through. Members of Congress want to attach everything to it and then on top of that is the political grandstanding. And so I think that helps kind of unpack how we got where we are right now. Yeah, I think it actually distills what's going on here. Just just for perspective's sake, right? The federal government spends give or take six trillion dollars a year. It's a federal budget of about six mm-hmm. trillion dollars, five point something and change. 
So as Kimberly said, two thirds of it is obligated already, which is four trillion dollars. Yep. So while they're while they're negotiating over a relatively small percentage wise slice, it is still two trillion dollars in spending. Just it so is still two trillion, yeah. but a big yeah. chunk of that is defense spending, which they also don't want to touch. Which right, very nearly so, a trillion, right? Eight hundred eight hundred sixty five yes. billion dollars this year, right? So so really, so right. two trillion minus eight hundred sixty five billion is one like one point three trillion, right? The number actually gets smaller and smaller the more you think about it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right, and so right, if you don't right. want to mess with defense spending, you don't want to mess with entitlements, you don't want to mess with interest on the national debt, it leaves this tiny sliver of federal, not tiny, right. but relatively small sliver relatively and shrinking small. of federal spending that is getting all of this attention simply because the other stuff is just too hard right. and costs exactly. you elections. So Exactly. exactly anyway. Right. Uh, all right. Next one, shall we? You've heard me say it many times. Wall Street didn't build the country. The middle class built the country. Yeah. 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 built the middle class. Yeah. That's a fact. So let's keep going. You deserve what you've earned, and you've earned a hell of a lot more than you're getting paid now. Thank you very much. Joe Biden self-proclaimed union man in Wayne County, Michigan on Tuesday, talking to UAW workers with the head of the UAW, Sean Fain, standing right next to him. That, of course, came a day before uh, Donald Trump goes to a non-union shop in Macomb County, uh, Michigan, to talk to non-union workers invited at the behest of the boss of that company to make his case that he is uh, a pro-union president. UAW might expand its strikes, by the way, I think tomorrow. Um, The thing I'm really curious about in those expanded strikes is um, what they're going to do with Ford, right? Because you remember last time they Mm. expanded, which was a week or two ago, they expanded to distribution centers run by GM and Stellantis. They left Ford out, saying it had made progress. So what happens with Ford tomorrow will be something of a tell of how negotiations are going. And we're into, like, week two now, right? Tomorrow, I think, will be day 14. Wild, wild. Yeah. Are, yeah, are you all hearing this this hissing sound you, in the background? You hear that? That's a weed, that's a weed whacker. That, oh, that's right a weed whacker. That's, that's a weed whacker. Let me, let me close the door. I was like, is I this, is this distortion on the line? <laughs> nope. Nope. It's suburban America. That's what that is. All right. Yay. There we go. Sorry. All right. Yeah, good stuff. Good go. stuff. All right. All right. So with weed whacker, you know, quelled, let's go on the uh, next piece of tape. People couldn't see my potential, so I had to show them. I've run this place for 20 years, but I still need to prove that I'm more than what you see on paper. Today, I'm the CEO of my own company. It's the way my mind works. I have a very mechanical brain. Why are we not rethinking this? I am more. I'm more than who I am on paper. So I watched the GOP debate. What was it last night? Was it last night? It was last, last night. night. Wow. Yes, so much, so many yeah. things happened. And it was chaotic. I actually thought it was a pretty good metaphor for the state of the Republican Party in general, because the same kind of chaos we're seeing in the House was right up there mm-hmm. on that stage. Um, but I paid a lot of attention to what ads were running during the GOP debate. This is one of my favorite things to do when I'm watching um, debates and and presidential speeches and and political speeches in general, because these ads are targeted based on who they think is watching. And so this ad in particular is from a, uh, it's something with the ad council and a bunch of other corporations 
called STARS. It stands for Skilled Through Alternative Routes. And it was basically an ad complaining about the paper ceiling, which is their term, which I think Uh, is quite clever, actually, mm, for mm, this mm. barrier that people who have a lot of skills, maybe trades, maybe just years of experience, maybe just life experience, face in the workplace because they do not have undergraduate degrees or bachelor's degrees or traditional degrees through a four-year university. And as we've been dealing with this um, new labor dynamic post-pandemic, I think there's been so much more attention paid to the fact, and I I know you've said this before, that we need more people with skilled trades. And Mm -hmm. so many jobs in this economy are like, oh, you need a college degree. And it's like, but do you? Really? Really? (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) I remember when I was going to college and I said I wanted to study journalism and my dad was like, yeah, but you need a real degree. (laughs) And so he insisted that I get some sort of academic degree because he said journalism is a trade and it's great for you to get your degree in a trade, but you also need to get an academic degree, which is so hilarious because that's not at all how most people think about journalism. But anyway, you know, there are so many um, people out there with real skills who are being, um, you know, the argument here is that they're being blocked from advancing in this economy simply because they don't have a four-year college degree. And so this is a coalition of a whole bunch of um, uh, recruiting companies and hiring companies that are saying, no, we need to end the paper ceiling. And this is fascinating to me because it's running during the GOP debate which tells you a lot about who they think is watching and where they think their coalition is. And as Mm -hmm. we move further and further into this campaign, I feel like we can learn a lot from who thinks their people are watching. And yeah, Mm. that's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's a good insight. That that bit. That's a, that's a very good insight. I like that one. Uh, Okay. Let's go. Last one. It's nearly fall, which means the entire universe will once again be losing its mind for pumpkin spice. Well, not on aviation, not on my watch. Let's make it a groanie. Ryan Reynolds, bless your heart. So that's Ryan Reynolds, the actor also... Yes. Also, uh, one of the owners of Aviation Gin, by the way, uh, doing an ad for Negroni and Aviation Gin. Um, But uh, look, it was viral. Ben in Cleveland sent it to us, by the way. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Um, Mm -hmm. I just I I, I'm done with pumpkin spice. That's all. But who knew you and Ryan Reynolds are besties in the pumpkin spice hatred? I I, oh, never mind. I've, I've got a whole never mind. Never mind. Look, I've got a whole thing about being good-looking men in Hollywood, but that's a different that's a different podcast. No, it isn't. It's actually this one. I, I want to hear it. <laughs> no, it really is. Maybe the next live show after I've had a couple of beers in front of seven hundred fifty people, then we'll talk about it. Right. I'm I'm right. super curious. Look, I yeah. do believe that Jen is the devil, but I also do love some Ryan Reynolds. Um, Absolutely. And so, Absolutely. I. Uh, I, I was very entertained when, when that when that came down the pipeline. No, so uh, yes, um, although at some point I need to figure out a way to ship from DC to California 
the ingredients for my pumpkin spice margarita because I am Absolutely convinced not. that Absolutely you will not. enjoy this cocktail. I will not. I will not. You haven't I, tried ma- it. Make, it's delicious. The, don't don't do it on your own dime. Make the company pay for it so that you're not wasting your money when I pour it down the drain. I will absolutely not. Absolutely not. I I think you will. I think you need to try. Do you, are you a tequila person at all? No, tequila to me is like gin to you. I got horribly hard. Well, that's okay. We'll do that at a, at a different podcast too. <laughs> yes, also. <laughs> that's sophomore year okay. in college, freshman year in college. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I wish I'd yeah. been so young. So, anyway. We're go now. We're yeah, let's go end it there. Now. If you've got something to share with us, perhaps uh, you're, uh, never mind. Uh, you know how to get a hold of us. Make me smart at marketplace.org. Call us 508 You Be Smart. That's how you get a hold of us. Oh, my goodness. E- Yes, that's it for today. We really got to stop. Um, but please join us tomorrow for your boozy or non-boozy tequila, gin, whatever your devil is. Not that, but whatever you would like to drink to wind down for yes. the week. Uh, We're going to have economics on tap. Our YouTube live stream goes live at 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. And we are going to be breaking down the news of the day, probably talking more about what seems to be an inevitable government shutdown, oh, partial no government lapse in approach. Laps in appropriations, as laps in appropriations, Uh, and we're also going to play some games. So there we go. Today's episode of Make Me Smart was produced by Courtney Bergseeker with assistance from H. Conley. Audio engineering by Juan Carlos Dorado. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletter. Our intern is Neil Farshabandi. Marissa Cabrera is our senior producer. Bridget Bodner is our director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.